Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for some additional savings as well as to support our programming. You can also check us out on Patreon to help support our programming there. Every $5 counts. Dave Crossland, we have a ton of listener questions today, uh, and I thought we would dig right into them. We also got a question from one of our audio listeners about the cabbage. <laughs> That's right. Let's start there, guys. We so well, we, just... we have a bunch of steroid questions. We're going to get to all of them, but this is we've got important stuff. Well, where was that? Let me see. It was uh, I sent that to you this morning. This is from a I've, guy. I've got it. Do you want me to read it out? Yeah, well, yeah, okay, I got it too now. But go ahead, you read it out. I want to hear. Uh, yeah, just start from so, that, the part about the cabbage. So, so basically, um, duh, 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 and then he goes, "I promise, I'm a huge fan of all the the shows, but I do not watch them on video. Never have. So, I just need to know what the fuck is a Christmas cabbage? <laughs> I hear about it all the time, but my imagination of what this could look like." Is driving me crazy. Have a good night. <laughs> that is a Christmas cabbage. You gotta, you so, gotta be there. Really, you know, you've got to watch the show once to, to to see what Christmas cabbage is, and then you'll know it'll be planted in your head, and you don't need say that. I would like to know what his imagination is for a Christmas cabbage. I wonder too. I wonder if he. I could only imagine what he thinks. I'm thinking like green. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have Green Giant there? The you probably don't. It's a brand. What the sweet corn? Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't see it. The, the, we used to have the adverts all the time, but we don't seem to get them anymore. But it still exists. Yeah. You still yeah. see him on tins. That's what you imagine. It's like this big muscular, you know, cabbage, right? Maybe I don't know. But no, this is Christmas cabbage. He's here. Uh, that that is funny though. Um, so we did get a lot of good feedback. We just now, hot off the presses, released our interview with uh, Doctor Dean Saint Mart. Uh, I really jumped on that one. We recorded it, and I got it out immediately. Meaning six months later. So we got a bunch of questions. Some of them were related to PCT. Uh, in fact, I'll start with one of those. So everybody was on a PCT kick since we had Dean on. Um, here's our first one. A question for the next video uh, regarding PCT. Can we uh, can we use different SARMs peptides in order to keep more gains and even make the PCT more efficient, uh, not only in uh, feeling and muscle recovery better, but in PCT itself in terms of increasing LH and FSH? SARMs, no. Um, most SARMs are to some degree suppressive, so they have no play and no role at all in the PCT. Um, and I have seen people that have required PCT post-SARM use and that have ended up on TRT due to long-term SARM use. So yeah. SARMs... Though they are labeled selective androgen receptor modulators, they have never truly lived up to the name, which is why they are research compounds, and they are not pharmaceutical compounds, because as yet, they haven't got one to work properly. Yeah. They work to some degree, but they don't work fully. Um, in terms of peptides, there's nothing that's really going to have a huge impact on recovery. Potentially a little bit of growth hormone can. Yeah, that's, uh, where, I, that's so where I was going to go. 
Yeah, so GHRP6 or, or any of the, you know, the... Um, Secreta guys. Growth secretaries. Oh, Secreta dogs. However you want to say it. Fucking American English. <laughs> Aluminium. Oh, don't start. Aluminium. Don't, don't, don't. Worcestershire. Hey, anyway, uh, moving on before muscle, we start with this crap. Muscle growth, I think, you know, and, and muscle retention and feel-good pumps in the gym. I think growth hormone is great. It's not going to negatively impact your recovery. Like you said, there may even be a slight benefit to it. Another one would be, uh, if you know, obviously do your research on it, but IGF-LR3, uh, I think you get really nice pumps from that. And I found that when I did PCT, that hopping on to some of that, like after post-cycle therapy is over and your red blood cell count is returning to normal and you aren't getting quite as like pumped and inflated during your workouts, it can kind of, it's, it can kind of add to the, the psychological effect of feeling say better. That, I would have said that's, that's more a, a mental thing than anything else. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, one of the impacts of coming off cycle is your recovery is not as good as it used to be. And as a, obviously, as a result, something like growth hormone is going to aid recovery. And, and really, I suppose in there, you could actually look at TB500 because that will will speed up soft tissue recovery. Huh. So it would it would have a benefit to, to muscle recovery post-workout. You can go to Dave's clinic and get that done IV. You guys don't do that there IV, you do you? No. A I Dave do special. it IV. We can't, we can't <laughs> do it as a product because it's not a legal product, is it? Just ask behind the counter. Dave's got it behind the counter. No, Dave doesn't. I don't want to get you in any trouble. We need a secret handshake. <laughs> what else do we have here? Uh, question for Dave. What are... Oh, okay. What are his thoughts We're not on... doing questions today. What are, who, who's this British sprinter? What are your thoughts on this British sprinter, CJ... Yuha? Is that how you say it? I, uh, I know they mean he's the guy that was in the 4x4 four four relay says, uh, who failed for SARMs. Yeah, it says he tested positive for SARMs, uh, S23 and Osterine, following the British team's silver medal performance in the yeah, the 4x100 the meter sprint relay. Um, sounds like he wanted to get, uh, I think he meant caught, with those choices in PEDs. Huh. Um, On the SARMs. I, 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 right. I can't speak on this individual case because I, I really don't know anything about it apart from what anyone else does, you know, what's been in the press about him getting caught. What I can tell you is that with definitely in certain cases, athletic performance enhancing drug use is coach-based and sometime even team-based. Hmm. And they don't take the compounds they take because they think that they're going to be able to hide them. They take the compounds they take because they're told they're not going to be getting tested for them. Yeah, that was a big mistake. On Somebody made a major error. Um, so don't always, when you hear or see of somebody getting caught for a compound, it isn't always because they're dumb fucks and they they think that this is not going to get shown in a test. It is often because in their understanding is they're not going to get tested for that or, or somehow that test is going to get circumvented yeah. in one way or another. Um, 
So there, there are elements. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are dumb fucks as well. But the, <laughs> it, it, um, it, it, it depends quite often on whether the individual has taken those drugs by choice and independently of their coaching. Right. Or whether this is a teamed, managed thing. And let's not be a naive here. Drug use within Olympic teams does go on and is, in certain cases, managed. I know British Cycling did did have, uh, shall we say, um, let's ignore our, our competitors taking drugs attitude for quite some time. Yeah. Hey, you know, we talked about SARMs on one of the more recent episodes, and, and I had said, hey, I just really don't know about these, and, and I don't for the most part, but there was one piece of information I didn't share, so I figured I'll throw it out there really quick. Um, I have seen uh, moderate results from Osterine, so that's kind of like, my, you know, my my little disclaimer as far as like me not having experience with them. Mm -hmm. I, I've had... Oh, Maybe I'll... 10 guys that were previously natural, all of them competitors, who said, hey, I want to up my game a little bit uh, in this next contest. And we would, we've cycled that into open competitions. These are guys that are competing in, uh, you know, smaller guys, like men, men's physique. But, I mean, obviously still, like, incredible physiques, uh, but not a huge amount of muscle mass, and they've competed naturally. Some of these guys have done really well, like taking second in their class. One took first in his class, won the overall, uh, took multiple firsts in different shows, completely natural. And we did up the game to using Osterine along the way. And eventually down the road, they did decide to use gear. But they wanted that that middle ground, you know, of you know trying dabbling, I guess you could call it. And But I, I will say this, Dave, the results, say that compared to Anivar, would be like, and this is only going to be for the video people who are watching. This is the Osterine, and this is the Anavar. You know what I'm saying? Like now, I've I've seen some pretty impressive SARM results with with certain people uh, in line with anabolic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy, what was his stack? Now I think it's YK11 and Rad140, which are obviously two of the more powerful. Yes more steroid based sums uh, but yeah he had he had very good results off that stack i mean Osterine is probably out of all of them in my opinion and my sound knowledge isn't brilliant uh the one that came closest to the original brief yeah yeah i i would say a tissue selective non suppressive anabolic agent i would say that that's probably I've seen little side effects with that as well. Like mm. it's been, it's been pretty good, but it did, it did it was suppressive though. I think that's very much person and dose duration dependent as well. I've seen some people where it sure. has been. I've seen some people where it hasn't been, but I say I've seen people end up on TRT due to some use. So they're definitely not non-suppressive. Unlike many things, I suppose it's the difference between use and abuse, isn't it? Yeah. Um, hey, Scott, Dave, and Cabbage. Hmm. Uh, what do you think is an acceptable range for blood pressure while on cycle? My BP is usually 140 over 70 uh, when on and normalizes when off. What ranges do you feel um, is concerning 
or just elevated from being on cycle cheers? Oh, you're asking the cabbage, Dave? He said he wanted to know what cabbage thought. Cabbage says that's acceptable. Yeah, that's that's acceptable. What do you say? One was yeah, it one forty? One forty over seventy. Yeah, I, I'd say that for a top number, that's that's kind of like I wouldn't want to go any higher than that, right? No, but I, that that's probably where most people are going to be, and I wouldn't be overly panicking at that at all. And with the bottom number of seventy, you know, that's like that that puts my that puts me at a little ease. If it was one forty over a hundred, you know what I'm saying? Then I'd start to be like, yeah, oh, no, we're, that's, we're that's pushing a different, it. Different that's a different conversation at the end of the day, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would say one forty over seventy is, is 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 definitely within the boundaries of what you would expect to see, and an elevation that is within reason, yeah. particularly if you are cardiovascularly fit as well, which plays into this to some degree. Yeah, I would say too, guys. A fat couch potato like me, then I'd be more <laughs> concerned at that than if you're very aerobically active. I thought I might have had my blood pressure cuff here. Uh, I don't see it around me. I think it's over on my shelves. But uh, it's the I, one I would... that says XS on it. This says what? It has the letters X and S on it. That's yours. Extra small. Yes. They have to have a special cuff for me that's little. Yeah, child cuff. So uh, I, I I did figure it'd be a good opportunity for us to do like a little PSA and say hey. If you don't have a blood pressure cuff, you should get one. And my suggestion would be don't get the wrist cuff. Get the one that goes over your upper arm. And if you do have any level of muscle, and I don't even mean you don't have to be, you don't have to have arms like Dave to need a large cuff. You don't want that cuff to be too tight, you know. Uh, since COVID, I've actually been able to fit into a regular cuff, Dave. Like I, I never could. Uh, for years, I needed. Oh, were they always too big? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always needed the obese person cuff, but now, currently, I'm able to use the regular cuff. Um, but you're, yeah, you you, you want to make sure you get the right cuff. You've made it when you're using a thigh cuff. That's I've never needed a thigh cuff. Is they, they've had to use that on you, I assume. Yeah, I I have got thigh cuffs for my arm. I used to use knee sleeves for um, elbow sleeves. I've been there, but I never. They never were like, "Let's break out the thigh cuff." If anything, they were like, "Yeah, we'll try the small one and see if it works." You know, the regular one. But then my blood pressure would read like crazy. It'd be like one sixty over one twenty, you know. And then they'd get out the oh. large cuff, and then it would be normal. Also, be wary that when you do blood pressure, you want to do it multiple times and look at averages. Don't just take one reading as a single. Do it at different times a day. Do it more than one reading, then average it out because. Uh, White coat syndrome is very, very real. Yeah. Uh, and people will get artificially elevated levels if they are anxious about having their BP taken. And you can always take your cuff into your doctor to calibrate it against their machine, you know? See what your you machine know, says, see what theirs says. Yeah. They still haven't asked for their mic back. Shut up, Dave. Don't say anything about it. Don't say I just, anything. I'm just looking at it now. I'm thinking, you know what? This is quite a cool mic. And then I thought, oh, <laughs> you stole it. <laughs> Guys, stole for, it. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, uh, Dave did an interview with My Protein in the UK. Uh, and they were like, listen, your, your mic is shite. We are going to send you a mic to use for the podcast. And Dave never sent it back. Send me a camera as well. You're kidding me. Are you no. using it? No. Mine's better. <laughs> 
Yours is better? I, I gave it somebody. I can't remember who. <laughs> All right. Uh, does your libido crash after a trend cycle if you are on TRT? Right. So there's a few things here that can happen. Um, the problem with trend cycles is we obviously we can't manage estrogen very well because it's not easy to test for it. You can test for it, but generally speaking, trend will be um, trend. Trend shows us estrogen <laughs> in a regular test. <laughs> Fuck off, Corey. Um, so. Um, it's not always easy to test for estrogen when you're when you're on a trend cycle. Um, now, one of the things that, that obviously trend can elevate prolactin. Another thing that will elevate prolactin is that your estrogen will drop off post cycle, and that will result in prolactin elevating. So you can see post cycle, you see you can see prolactin peaks that, as a result, can affect libido. So there are some chemical imbalances going on post-cycle that can affect libido, and you can see a, a libido drop post-cycle. Um, the other thing is that you're so used to having an incredibly high libido that normal levels then will feel like you've crashed. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, and that that is so the, there's two things here that can potentially happen. One is just the fact that it it, it appears it feels sort of crashed relative because it's been so high before. But the other thing is that you can get some wobbles with estrogen and prolactin post cycle that can affect libido short term as well. So it, it can be either or. Yeah. More commonly with most people, it tends to be the psychological side of it that they they're so used to being so much higher that just normalization of the libido feels like a crash. Yeah. Yeah, I could go with that. I I mentioned the other week that you now it's not a trend, but the same family meant uh, trust alone. I I felt like my libido was screwy for a couple months after using it. Just for I was on it for maybe five six weeks. Uh, what else do we have here? We've got some people on the live feed. Nick says that he is uh, he's on a forty five minute drive. It sounds like so. no. He's on a forty-five on a bay. So what's a, as a what's HG on a bay? Driver. Right. So, oh God, for fuck's sake. Right. As a heavy goods vehicle driver in the UK, you have a tachograph which measures the time and speeds at which you drive, and the law dictates that after so many hours of driving, you must take a forty-five minute break. Oh, so he's on break right now. So he's on a forty-five minute break in either a loading bay or a parking bay. Oh, thank you for translating that, Dave. Uh, it's Jesus Christ, Scott. You're hard work at times. You really are. Come on, keep <laughs> up. <laughs> All right. What else do we have here? Oh, okay. Here we go. D-ball or oxy? 75 milligrams per day. Actually, he said versus oxy. Dave, I'm actually disappointed. You never have said oxy since I made fun of the way you say oxy. No, I'm not talking to you anymore about it. So, Nat 50s. There. Fuck you. I'm going to um, You're going to get more bang for book out of your Nat 50s, definitely. Sure. Um, sure. And less estrogen problems. But 75 mega of either of them is going to give you a hefty kick. Yeah. 
what are your side effects from these compounds? You know, Dave would do great. You'd do great with the Anadrol. Me, on the other hand, uh, I'd have zero appetite after about five days in. I was going to say the big one with with, with the Nat 50s is is appetite. Uh, That's the one that kills most people off with it. Yeah. Um, so that d can trash some people's appetite as well. But then the big thing with d would be the estrogen because uh, it aromatizes like a bitch. Yeah. 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 Some people, some people who are very estrogen sensitive are going to have a lot of issues, especially with a dose like 75 milligrams of d right? That is a decent whack, is that? You're not, you're not slouching at 75. Huh, how about this? Gabs says, uh, if I were taking D-ball and... Uh, Plus a bombs personally, basically saying I do both of them together: fifty milligrams D ball, hundred milligram oxy. That's the fucking hell. I mean, biggest dose I ever did oral was hundred mg oxy, hundred mg and I didn't last very long with that at all. There was a that's a a big whack of orals is hundred fifty milligram a day. There was a plan that people were talking about on the internet. Um, I think there was this guy, I think his, his board name, this will be a throwback for some people. His name was Gav, Gavin Kane, spelled with a C, I think, Kane. But uh, he um, he had this cycle put together that he wrote an article about, and it was like 50 milligrams of Anadrol, uh, maybe 25 D-ball with DECA. And it was like the first, it was like the D-ball was eight weeks the Anadrol was six weeks and the DECA was 10 or 12 or whatever. I actually ran that and I liked it. I did, I did really good um, with the combo. But that was much lower than, than what Gabs is talking about. Mm, oh, I don't think there's, there's an issue with the two drugs together. I just think that's quite a high dose. Yeah. I'm not saying it's, 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 it's down to personal preference at the end of the day, how much you fucking take. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, at the end of the day too, you're... You're you're now taking, like you said, 150 milligrams of orals a day, uh, and I would consider D ball milligram for milligram to be stronger. Because uh, think about like what our average doses are. You know, people would yeah, take 25 yeah, yeah. to 50 D ball, 50 to 100 Anadrol. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, I suppose you know? so. I don't know. This uh, year's fucking hell. It, it must be. 20 year, 30 years since I took Debo. Really? Yeah. I'm working with a guy right now. He's actually, this is his peak week. Um, in really good shape. Been working with him for about four years, I think it is. Every, every maybe five, every year he's competed. Uh, except for he took this last year off to keep growing. But we, we're doing uh, Anadrol into the show this time. And he looks fuller. He looks good. Yes, oxys. He looks good. I like it. All right. Uh, Is there any benefit to the old school way of tapering off of a cycle to make recovery easier? Um, Ever even changing to a short ester when it comes to tapering off. Another way I've heard is when one has finished all of his injectables, uh, then change to 10 milligrams of D-ball per day for four weeks and hopefully recover naturally. Uh, maybe it is a case of retaining gains, but that's 
just a guess. Dude, do you remember that? There used to be talk about you could run 10 milligrams of D-ball a day, and if you took it first thing in the morning, you would still release testosterone at night. That was like a board thing that, that was going on. Right. The so, D-ball bridge. Okay. Um, regards tapering down, there is a natural taper with the esters, so tapering down is only going to elongate your cycle, and, and it's just not necessary. Um, remember something like, oh, so let's, let's take test sip or test end. So we're looking at 10, 10 days for most people, 10.5 days for most people, half-life. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're on 500 mega, that 10, 10 days later, 250, 10 days later, 125. So, you know, we, we've got a, a 20, 21 day taper yeah. and we're still at TRT levels. Yeah. Um, the other thing is if you're shut down for weeks, even if you were running, well, there you go. Even if you were running a 500 meg basic, genuine starter cycle, you're still going to have suppressive, suppressive levels at, at 20, 20 days, 21, three weeks later. So sure. how are you going to naturally recover if you've got 10 mega D ball on top of that? At four weeks, it just it just ain't gonna happen. It's absolute fucking bollocks. Yeah, end of the day, you got to come off if you're gonna. Yeah, recover. you know now, if you want to maximize, so people go on about going on to short 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 esters at the end of a cycle. Now, when you finish your cycle on long esters, you're still going to have two weeks, possibly three weeks, depending on the doses you were running, of productive levels of hormones in your body. Yeah. So there's no real reason to add in a short ester. If you want to maximize your levels in a set window, then yes. So for argument's sake, say you had 10 weeks in which you had to run a cycle and at the 10th week, you had to be off. Or as near as, damn it, Esther clear as you could be. Yeah. Then we'll go back to the fiber omega test again. So you'd run that for seven weeks. And then for the last three weeks of your 10 window, you'd start your short Esther. So that at your 10 win point, you can finish your short Esther. And literally within a few days, you're going to be relatively clear. Yeah. Yeah. But there, 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 is a, there is an application for a short Esther in that point. But you've also got to remember this, that in your normal cycle protocol where you do your 10, 12 weeks and then you come off, that, that half-life taper is a natural decline and a progressive decline of hormone levels. If you did the protocol I just suggested, the seven-week and the three-week short extra at the end, then when you come off, you're going to go from high hormones to no hormones in a matter of days. Yeah, you would, wouldn't you? So, so you are quite literally going to crash. Yeah. Um, so you've got to bear that in mind. So, so short, short esters at the end, there is a place for them, but it's not common. And it's when you have a very restrictive usage window that you have to maximize. Generally speaking, I would just stay with the long esters and let the taper of it be your natural taper down. I would agree with that. I have nothing to add. We'll see what else we got here. Um... Let's see. Brilliant stuff, guys. Oh, NHS GPs are very dismissive when it comes to steroid use. 
Has Dave ever had the chance to sit down with one of them and discuss that? Unfortunately, there is a recognized, and this is, this is medically recognized, bias against steroid users. So it is a known fact. Uh, harm reduction services in the UK and research services in the UK are very well aware that there is generally a, a, a GP practitioner bias against steroid users. Some of this is a, is a genuine prejudice. Some of this is a lack of information or a lack of training and a lack of knowledge. There was a package put together last year which was offered to GPs to, to try and educate them a little bit more on how steroid users use steroids, why they use them, the drivers, and how to manage these factors. But it was a voluntary thing, and as a result, not many people took it up. But there are a growing number of GPs um, who... Um, um, a, a little bit more understanding in, in regards to steroid use and a little less prejudice or dismissive about steroid use. Uh, and Jack Daffway, who I mentioned on the TRT stuff, is, is definitely one of those guys that's much more progressive uh, and much more understanding uh, and more concerned with patient health than, than dismissing people because they use steroids. So things are improving, but it is microscopically it is on a one individual basis, and, and unfortunately, at this point, there would appear to be no compulsory changes within GP training to accommodate the growing number of steroid users. Now, when the Adelphi Project publishes, part of that project did look at the medical practitioner bias uh, and medical practitioner prejudice whether that will action anything or whether that will bring this problem up to light to some degree i i don't know it, i hope it does but I, I i'm not holding my breath on it yeah um okay how about this one guess he asked this question before we didn't answer it should i tie from my 150 milligrams a week trt uh to my next cycle of 400 to 500 milligrams of test pro or the dosage is still low and can just jump straight uh, away on the next dosing. So he's he's on TRT and he wants to do 400, 500 test probe. He's asking, does he need to work his way up to 400 or 500 or can he just start it? Just start it. Um, yeah. It will take approximately five to six weeks for levels to reach peak anyway. Yeah. Is there a is there ever a cycle where you would say, hey, you should tirade up or? Oh, when you when titrate? you're talking grams, when you're talking grams, yeah, yeah. What would no, be? Like, so, why would so you want to titrate for that? More side management. Um, yeah. So you, if you if you go from TRT of 150 to a five gram cycle, I, I wouldn't jump straight in at a five gram cycle, or, or even a three gram cycle. I wouldn't jump straight in at that. I would bridge that. Um, and that's more side management. That amount of hormone that quickly into your system is going to have some adverse uh, reactions. Yeah, I could see that. So, so I would be progressive with that. But, but you know, most cycles under a gram, I would say there's no need unless you're particularly sensitive to sides in the same stuff like test flu. Right, that's what then I was going to say. Yeah, and then otherwise I'd, I'd say there's no need. Yeah. 
Um, what else do we have here? Blade Walters. That's a cool name, Blade. You think that's his real name? Like his mom called him Blade? You never know. I know somebody who's changed his name to Blade something. But that his mom wasn't like, oh, we had our baby. He's so beautiful. Oh, maybe, maybe he's a Blade fan. I mean, yeah. how many how many kids in the sixties got named after fucking Beatles? You know. Yeah, maybe his mom was a Blade fan. Yeah, you right? never know. Could be. Stranger things have happened. Uh, do you think it's worth adding blasts of HCG after a prep or off-season cycle while on TRT between cycles, or should you just save your money and use the HCG? When and if you go off completely, a lot, a lot going on there. Yeah, that's that's quite actually quite an old school thing. So there was an old school day when I was uh, in the early days. So when I was in twenty, there was an old school thing that you ran five thousand IU of HCG every four weeks. Uh, like you would just take uh, it I'm, once. Yeah, you see, just do a week of 5,000 IV, one hit, or split it into a couple of shots, and you do it every four weeks. And the theory was that that would help maintain some lady cell integrity. And and it it would. There there is something in that. Now we would look much more of a, oh, for fuck's sake, stop taking drugs on stage. Come on. On stage? Well, all right. Is this a stage? Do you think we're in a band, Dave? No, this this is a stage, isn't it? Life's a stage. Let's get old. Uh, <laughs> right my uh, my sinuses, ah. my allergies are bugging me, and my nasal spray is out. Dave, stop, stop, stop sniffing coke, and then your noses will be fine. Um, I'll work on that. Uh, no, um, so now we would suggest something like two hundred fifty IU twice a week or every other day. In order to maintain some lady integrity on cycle, but uh, you know, it's the theory's not a million miles away. Let's put it that way. Um, but the, the the low dose, more frequency is definitely a better approach. Yeah. Um, the only issue with the five thousand is there is a potential for desensitization. I don't think it would happen. Um, if it was done on a four weekly basis, but th- there is the potential. There. Let me ask you this: Have you ever seen? Personally, like with people you've talked to, um, I used to do it. You've seen desensitization. That's what I was oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I spoke to somebody actually yesterday with it. Really? What was his? What was he doing that led to that? Five thousand IU a week for the last eight months. Okay. Yeah. And I also know someone who was prescribed HCG as uh, an instrument TRT. So steroid user had come off, low test. Um, he was under a teaching hospital, which are generally a little bit more open to trying alternative practices. So they put him on 5,000 IU of HCG a week. In fact, it might even be slightly more. Uh, and initially it did maintain some decent test levels. But yeah. as that 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 uh, treatment continued, he started to desensitize and they eventually put him on TRT because the HCG was no longer being effective. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, I know one guy who was taking, I think it was just a real low dose of HCG a couple times a week, like uh, 125 units or something. And then the with his TRT, 
And after doing that for like two or three years, he said it just wasn't the same. The doctor bumped him up to 250, and then it brought his levels back where they had wanted him. Mm. Mm. So, no, I, I rare. Think, yeah. Um, more, more rare, though, right? Well, I think more rare because people just don't run HCG uh, in that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't see many of people using HCG as a TRT protocol, do we? Generally, people just jump on TRT. Yeah. Hey, I got a question for you to think about, Lucas asks us. So if we were on stage and this this is, uh, you know, we're we're a band, what would be the name of the band? Duh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I yeah, that hit me right when you right when you were about to uh, yeah. Okay. I don't think it I posted this. Has to be, yet. doesn't it? Has to be. Has to be something like cabbage heads or yeah, you know, Christmas cabbage and and the idiots or something. I don't know. <laughs> we have so many great uh, listeners, viewers of the show, Dave. Like the cabbage heads are here to support us. Uh, the cabbage heads comment on other podcasts. They they'll comment on like uh, Weapon X's show. They'll be like, "Hey, cabbage Ian!" All the time, he'll be like, "Cabbage head checking in." Well, you, you know, know? we each taking over the world. What can I say? I know, right? One show at a time. Hey, we have a question uh, in the live feed from our uh, beautiful new pro page. She says, uh, hey, guys, if you have the time, what's all the positive benefits of HGH? I use it now and love it. Uh, I know sleep is great on it. I hear it will improve skin, which I hope helps my acne. I know she, I believe she had come off of birth control. And she started getting more breakouts uh, after that. Uh, and I, I remember she actually asked us about GH back before she started using it. So she's on it now. She's obviously done her own research, but I think she just wants to spark some conversation here. Uh, benefits of growth hormone. I do think that the, the cosmetic stuff is a big one. I do think that, like, for people who are into Hair, rejuvenation. Eyes, nails, skin. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you think of... So, if you think of HGH as a, as a cell rejuvenator, um, and as a result, the, the, the skin quality is going to improve because your skin cells are going to be healthier, they're going to be more rejuvenated. Um, it, it, it's a step further on from hydration creams and stuff like that is, is HGH when it comes to, to, to skin care. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely... Um, Generally, people report better nails, better hair, better skin, um, improved sleep. Uh, you also, well, some people report improved libido. I've heard that. Uh, on, on, on growth hormone as well. Uh, and a lot of people will generally, I've said this before, but a lot of people will generally re remark on how somebody looks well or has a glow or a radiance about them when they're on growth hormone low-dose long-term. I remember the first time I ran growth um, down the road. It was good growth. I was using, it was a uh, hydrotropin, uh, the original hydrotropin. And I remember I ended up like catching the flu. It was like a nasty flu where you're throwing up and stuff. And so I'm walking around the apartment and just like hunched over. And I'm like, oh, I don't feel good. My girlfriend was like, it's hard to recognize that you feel so terrible because your skin is still glowing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. 
GH. My fingernails always grow a lot faster on the the jaw. On the jaw. Yeah, the jaw. The jaw. Ja. <laughs> ja. Yeah, my fingernails grow a lot faster and thicker. I notice. Like I'll have to trim them more frequently. I look down and it's like claws. Claws. Yes. Christmas cabbage, like, like the claws of a Christmas cabbage, ripping its way into your soul. Christmas cabbage loves his way into your soul. He doesn't <laughs> rip his way into your soul. <laughs> Let me see. I think that might be all the questions, Dave. You're going. Uh, you know, yeah, I think Christmas cabbage could could represent world peace. He could. He's always got that smile. You know, yeah. he's always happy. He's always and positive. It's, it's a very very infectious smile. You just look into his eyes and you can't help but be happy, right? You can't be angry when you look at Christmas cabbage, can you? That is kind of true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Derek Oslin, Weapon X. So he's a, an Olympian bodybuilder, Dave. He likes Christmas cabbage, too. He's a fan. Everybody huh. needs a Christmas. You know, we could actually do a line of selling Christmas cabbages. Huh. William says he has to leave because he has to go pay for his drugs and stuff. <laughs> he has got to go to work. Um, yeah, Christmas cabbage line. We could we could sell Christmas cabbages. How about that? Yeah. All proceeds yeah, go to Dave. To Christmas cabbage. Don't be Dave. stealing Christmas cabbages money. <laughs> uh, you I steal wonder, my money every week. Don't be stealing his. I wonder if we made a shirt. If people would buy that Christmas cabbage shirt, we'd have to take a pre-order because I don't want to get stuck with a hundred Christmas cabbage shirts. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you're not really good. At, you know, I don't think family and friends would appreciate you uh, sending Christmas cabbage shirts. As uh, I don't think they'd understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, why the fuck have you sent me this T-shirt with a picture of a stuffed cabbage on it? You know what the fuck? <laughs> you cheap bastard! Give me a proper tech gift. All right, we got two more. We're going to make this really quick, uh, and then I have a dentist appointment. Uh, how is the peptide infusions helping Dave's pain? They, yeah, they, they, they're good. It, it, it's really weird. Um, I got up this morning. I was limping. My feet were hurting. They're fine now. Uh, and so those sort of things still happen, but I just seem to be able to do more. You know, I'm back squatting. Really? I'm You're freaking kidding me. Yeah. No, no, first time in two years, properly squatted. I'm just surprised you're in the gym. I mean, we're not saying weights because they are embarrassingly fucking light. Okay, that's uh, okay. Full range, ass to heels, because I don't know any other way. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to promote any sort of super hardcore deep squat. And it's just I don't know any other way of doing it. Um, and uh, no, they were they were they were good. I actually enjoyed doing them as well. Nice. Um, and then you know, I just I just. I can do more stuff, but there's there's still pain there. It, it, it's a bit odd. I just, unfortunately, I do tend to live in a little bit of a, I wouldn't say fear, fear is a strong word, but there is an apprehension about if I do this, am I going to be in problems tomorrow? Sure. So like when I squatted, I was very conscious of the fact, you know, I might not be walking for a week after doing this. Yeah, but um, you were, no, but you I, did. Yeah, fine. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I can so understand that. I feel the, the same. The next, the same day, there was some pain. The same day, yeah. But next morning, just back to normal, uh, and it seems to be a bit like that at the moment. So long may it last. Nice. All right, we got one more here. Um, is it possible to recover 
from insulin resistance due to the use of growth hormone without taking any drugs? How would you mitigate the effects? Thank you. So with drugs, are we talking drugs or are we talking supplements? Um, so supplement-wise, you can use berberine. Sure. Very, very effective at improving. Cardio, very effective at improving insulin resistance. Yeah. And a keto or a low-carb diet approach. Yeah. Mean t- watching your your high glycemic carbs. Hell, weightlifting is great for improving your insulin mm-hmm. sensitivity. So all those factors will help re- improve insulin sensitivity, but it, it depending on, I, I always remember Jordan after he'd done his off season with Milos, uh, and he was he was over three hundred pounds at points that off season. Yeah, and Milos had him on hundreds of IU's of, G, of insulin, like he does with a lot of his athletes. Uh, and Jordan said the prep post that bulk was the hardest prep he's ever done. Yeah, he really had to work to get the weight off. I remember him um, saying that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, if you are, it depends on way why you've used growth and, and what your gro- growth use was for. I mean, if you're using growth longevity wise, then I would go to an EOD protocol anyway. Yeah, I would throw in some periods of either low carbs or, or, or keto periods for a couple of weeks, and I'd keep your cardio decent. Uh, and I would suggest a dose of 200 milligrams of berberine per meal if you can tolerate it stomach-wise. Yeah. Because it can upset some people's stomachs. It can cause them a bit of digestion issues. You could even start that berberine with, like, one dose a day and go to two yeah. doses a day, you know, yeah. see how that works. I'd say if you were to train, say, toward, like, the afternoon, then I would take the berberine in meal one and maybe with my last meal, too. Keep it, and I'd keep it away from training because you're already going to – the training itself is going to be probably your best insulin sensitivity of the day is around that. So the other areas of the day, I would try to try to doctor up a little bit. We had gotten a question and I'm not sure on the answer of this about why growth hormone does um, decrease insulin sensitivity. Uh, I, I know Scott I has did, explained it. I did know it and I have forgotten it. <laughs> It's a long time since I did any proper digging at uh, yeah. about growth, but it's to do with this relationship with IGF-1. Uh, but yes, um, I can't remember exactly, but I have looked at it. Steve mentioned two uh, periods of fasting. That's definitely going to help, you know, your insulin sensitivity. Add some yeah. intermittent uh, fasting into the day. Yeah, if it's practical for for what you do, then yeah, it's not always practical for everybody, but it's definitely def definitely will help. It, it's on that list which we should have included. Your fault, Scott. I feel like the um, the issues with insulin sensitivity and growth are a little bit overstated. That I see the people who are worrying about it the most are the people who aren't using growth, and that that yeah, that, I, you know. I think if you're on a low dose protocol, then it, it, it's going to be long term before you really start seeing prob- problematic insulin sense resistance. You may start to see a slight decrease. 
yeah. insensitivity. But then again, you know, the more sensitive you are to, to insulin, the better you're going to respond to training and the less likely you are to, to deposit fat anyway. So sure, it's something I like to manage in, in my coaching. I'm a big fan of, of, of keeping natural sensitivity as high as we possibly can. Absolutely, because that's how you're going to grow muscle, you know, or lose fat. I think that here's always been my thought is that, um, you know, there are – countless people around the world that are being prescribed growth hormone by their doctors uh, at, you know, anywhere from one to three units. And, and that's one to three units of like the best growth hormone you can get. And their doctors aren't saying like, oh God, and now we got to put you on metformin along with this in order to protect you. You know? No, and I don't think for your average person the insulin resistance is going to be a problem. But when you're talking athletes whose body fat levels are concerning and nutritional transit is concerning for growth, then we we are a little bit more sensitive to... That's to a good degrowth. point. That's a good point. But if you're just average Joe Bloggs who's only taking growth because they have a medical need for it, then I would have said that that resistance is never going to be at a level where it's particularly problematic. Yeah, medical need being... My levels were determined to be low by a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, check out uh, crosslands.org.uk. You can reach out to Dave there. But you can reach out to Dave there if you're interested in some coaching or consultation. You can reach out to me, McNallyDiets at gmail.com. I'd be happy to do a consultation with you. Um, Also, if you're in the UK and you need some blood work done, hit up Dave at eval he'd be happy to help but i'm you. going on fucking holiday so don't hit me up till after the 6th of september wow you're gonna be gone to the 6th yeah what are we gonna do without you dave no i'll still do the podcast i'll just do it sat on my ass in a chair in the sun in spain okay That's fine. eating um eating off some french bread i will live off french bread cheese and ham for the next two weeks it's gonna That's be great for I'll your insulin sensitivity eat. That'll be great for your insulin sensitivity. You, that is all I'm gonna fucking eat. <laughs> oh gosh! Of course, check out our great sponsor, True Nutrition, guys. Uh, everything that they put out is high quality, third party tested. It's a company that I believe in, and you can use our code Think for some additional savings. Uh, Dave, just right quickly, Michelle's yeah. asked about berberine impact on IGF one. I wouldn't be concerned about the IGF one levels. I really wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, but I'd look at about 200 milligram per meal, or that's what I would work to. Yeah. Um, a thousand milligrams not going to have a negative, as in a real world negative impact on IGF one. This is this is very much with the old Novadex thing about lowering IGF one. It, it, it's not going to be concerning from a from a real real world impact. Thing. Yeah. All right, guys, we appreciate you. Thanks for watching. Uh, feel free to comment uh, at the YouTube uh, with questions for the next show. David, chip, chip, cheerio, mate.